This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is an Intel Studios production that is enhanced with Intel technology. To see pictures, articles, and links of what's being discussed, download the Intel app by going to entale.com. Hello. So, uh, welcome to Making the Cut. Basically, this is a podcast with me, Davina McCall, and you, Michael Douglas. Yep. We've known each other for 20 years, mm-hmm. and you have styled my hair on every show that I've done <laughs> for 20 years. Yeah. It used to be a lot easier. It's got harder as your <laughs> It just used to waft the hairdryer through your hair and it did something nice. Now I've got to spend like 45 minutes. It's like pubes. Kind of drying all the fluff out of it. Yeah, it's quite weird, the the change. Babies though, right? Babies. Babies, all that stuff messes around with your hair. So ladies, just be warned. Enhances your life. But mm. really messes uh, messes, messes with your with body, your yeah. All about well, your entire <laughs> yeah. body. Yeah. And we have basically done this podcast in a dressing room without it being recorded weekly for Many, the past twenty years. Twenty years, yeah. Um, and often I used to say to Michael, "My God, we should do this on a TV show." We thought we might do it on a TV program one day, mm. and actually, the podcast is the perfect place for it. Mm. And we are on the Intel Interactive app. So everything that you talk about or I talk about. So how do you spell in, Intel? In e- or N? E-N. E-N. T-A-L-E. Yeah. Okay. Intel. And that's the app, right? That's the app. And everything that we talk about or that you can see in the photographs or mm-hmm. um, that you can buy, you will be able to buy on the app. And the idea is that we're going to review stuff, right? I mean, what's happened over the last 20 years is I've usually come into the dressing room and said, oh, my God, have you seen this thing? Or I've said... I mean, explain one of the things that you told me about that's been amazing. Do you know? Oh, yes. So, like, Invisalign. So I had my teeth straightened. I used to have these horrible kind of book teeth. They weren't horrible, by the way. Yeah, they were pretty bad. But But they were um, and, uh, you know, I, I was occasionally see myself on the TV and think, oh, my God, stop smiling. Look at the size of those teeth. Thank God they're not watching in 3D. The teeth will be in the living room, you know. So I had these Invisalign braces put in. It took about a year, and they literally transformed my teeth and my smile and everything. And you were slightly jealous of this, but you hated the idea that you would wear braces, right? Well, what I think is so interesting is mm-hmm. that... Um, I said to you, which is what everybody said to me, but there was nothing wrong with your teeth. And it is very interesting how mm-hmm. people get um, incensed at the idea that you have changed your teeth. People were annoyed with me that I got my teeth fixed. Mm-hmm. You didn't need your teeth fixed, yeah, but yes, like in a slightly annoyed way. <laughs> yeah. Why have you done this? Your teeth were absolutely fine. And I then said, like you had mm. said to me, didn't want fine. Yeah, yeah. I wanted perfect. Yeah, I wanted. And now you have perfect teeth. And yeah, it's one I, of the things that everybody talks about I, is your teeth. I do. And like, my teeth. Like my teeth. So that, that was a good example yeah. of it. That I essentially reviewed yeah. Invisalign and four or five years later you got it done, right? And vice versa. I mean, you've told me about TV programs to watch, books to read and all sorts of things, which I found very useful and very, I'm very grateful for. So that's what we're going to be doing, essentially, is taking uh, products or books or TV shows or movies and 
basically either trying to sell them to each other yeah or there'll be things that we've seen together or experienced together and we'll we'll share with you and we are doing this in our kitchen uh-huh your flat. my flat yeah. in london and uh, we often sit on either side of this breakfast bar mm-hmm. and discuss life mm-hmm. and so we are sat on either side of the debrief bar <laughs> Uh, debriefing about products and we are not paid to discuss these products in any way shape or form yeah you can send us your products feel free to send us your products yes but but you be must be aware, aware and we'll be very very honest about honest. what we think yeah. about uh, yeah. about these products so but if we um, love your product mm. i will wang on and on about it because <laughs> when i love something i really really love it but as you might hear it's high risk you know there'll be a price to pay for sending us products that we don't like <laughs> so um, on that positive yeah, note. <laughs> on that bombshell. Um, can I just say about this debrief bar, is yeah. the uh, the table height to seat height ratio is perfect for me. Yes. It's um, a thing of yours, that's It's a thing it? of mine. Because I, 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 I'm quite small, I hate being sat at a table where I'm so low that my my arms are like above my shoulders trying to eat anything. It has to be... The ratio between the seat height and the table height has to be good for me. And this is perfect. And this is lovely. Good. Yeah. That's why I got the flat. Yeah. Yeah. The whole flat's based on that. Based around your need for good. (laughs) What are you going to hit me with today? So today I am going to talk about mascara. Oh, yeah, my favourite thing. Yeah. Yeah. So actually I am going to put some on you. Well, Um, I probably need it. I don't know if you've seen my eyes up close, but I don't have any eyebrows or any eyelashes virtually. They look like they've been burnt off. They're virtually see-through. Like when I go on the telly, I'm on the one show or whatever, and I go into the makeup department, they always put brown mascara on me just so they they can see my eyelashes. Because look, they're barely there, You know, I never never really think about that. I've never thought about the fact that Mm. you are lacking in any way. They put brown on my eyebrows as well, trying to fill them in. And I always think it's funny because I look like two moustaches have been put (laughs) on top of my eyes. And I can't help but like move them around like Roger Moore. You know, so yeah, I'm very happy. Stick stick mascara on. Does it come in any particular color? Um, it's black because it's black. I I well, it comes in many colors, it? but it'll probably come in. I would say blue, black, and brown. But um, I wear black. The only time I've ever worn mascara is on my top lip to get into the Park Hall nightclub in um, Camelot theme park back in Leyland. What year? Uh, for the Hitman and Her. Amazing. Uh, so it must have been about 1988. And we appeared on TV, me and my mate Woody. Both of us had a mascara moustache. And we just appear like that with a pint of lager and then disappear. <laughs> and then it's back to Michaela Stratton and Pete Waterman. How old were you? 15, 16 oh, maybe. That's fantastic. I mean, I looked about 12 with a fake moustache on. How they let me in, I've literally no idea. But those were the days when, uh, I mean, I was clubbing at 14. No one ever, ever asked for cared, ID. No one cared. No. I, everybody was drinking, mm-hmm. any age. So why are you showing me mascara? Well, I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I want to know what you're showing me. I'm going to tell you about a TV show that I've been watching that you've not watched (gasps) called Flowers. Um, Amazing. Yes. So it's BAFTA winning comedy. It's on Netflix at the moment. It's got Olivia Colman in it. (gasps) I love her. I know, right? She's everywhere Mm. uh, amongst other people. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. It's been been quite life-changing, actually. Has it? Yeah. It's it's pretty... It's right up there with the best of Fleabag and, (gasps) and others. You know, yeah, it's... It's super, so um, I'll go into a bit more detail about that because it, 
it's it's brought a tear to my eye on three or four occasions. Not that that's difficult. I literally cry in <laughs> episode of Neighbours these days, but um, it is it is really good. It's really well written and it's been brilliantly made and it's uh, it's really thought provoking as well on many many levels. So I can tell you I'll tell you a bit about that. I'm really looking forward to that because I love your television recommendations. They're always spot on. Ah, good. Thank you. Mm. And then we're going to discuss a book mm-hmm. together. Yep. I started it. Yeah. And then I stopped. Mm-hmm. And we're going to discuss that later. It's a brilliant, brilliant. It's hard to believe that it's a true story. So we're going to start okay. with mascara. Great. Kevin Coyne was an American um, makeup artist mm-hmm. and he was mega. I mean, he did the makeup for Madonna, Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, you know, like proper 80s supermodels when supermodels yes. really were a thing. Mm-hmm. And he then started his own brand of makeup and really tragically he died in 2002. But his makeup lives on and actually that's quite rare to come up with something that continues with such Mm -hmm. great fervor once you've disappeared um, as the ambassador and this product has single-handedly changed my life now you Mm -hmm. uh, probably know of me that I'm quite a low maintenance person yeah yeah it's uh, I've always liked that about you really you've been very uh, easy about the way you look (laughs) 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 oh it came out quite bad for that but I have always thought, oh, it's great. Like, you just throw your hair in a ponytail and chuck on some mascara and leave the house, right? Yes. Mm. And the thing is, is that I'm also quite low maintenance when it comes to removing makeup. Mm-hmm. And for many, many years, I would... You didn't. Go to bed in full makeup and just wake <laughs> up in the morning and just think, oh, I'll just wash it off in the shower. The biggest issue of all was Panda Eyes from makeup. Mm. And... A girlfriend of mine, in fact, we were talking about this the other day, she showed me a photograph. She'd been... It was Donna Air. Oh, yeah. um, she'd been in a in a steam room and her friend had laughed at her when she'd come out and she's like what and she looked in the mirror and literally she had enormous black circles around her eye now once mascara has got into the nooks and crannies of your under eyelashes yeah. and under your eyes it is so difficult to get it off and this skin underneath your mm-hmm. eye as Cheryl Phelps Gardner, who mm-hmm. is my makeup artist and are one of our greatest, greatest friends, mm-hmm. she's always telling me this skin underneath your eye, it's very fine, it's very sensitive. Oh, yeah. You need to really treat it with love and be super gentle with it. So if you are trying to scrape and rub and get angry with like mascara underneath your and Lord forbid you wear waterproof mascara, mm-hmm. you're really going to damage the skin and you're going to get much more wrinkly much quicker. So I was just like, this is a disaster for me. I'd wake up every morning Mm -hmm. with a panda rise. What am I going to do? And somebody told me about Kevin O'Coin's tubing mascara. And I didn't get it. So I was like, tubing mascara, it sounds ridiculous. And she said, basically what happens is the mascara tubes your eyelash Mm -hmm. as opposed to sticks itself to your eyelash. Okay. It it envelops it. It's basically, hang on, I've got notes here. Let me pull out my notes. So normal mascaras coat your lashes in pigment Mm -hmm. to darken and lengthen, but tubing formulas, it wraps polymers around your lashes 
coating them in tubes of the black stuff. I just didn't get it. I couldn't okay. formulate what that meant in my head. Yes, what does so polymer I st- mean? Yeah, right. Like right I didn't okay. know it. So I didn't go near it for ages. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, rubbish. Then I was in um, Space NK, and they had some, and I thought, I'm going to try it. So... I'm going to put some on you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to then get you to take it off, and I'm going to show you how easy it is to do. Okay. Um, I'm coming round. There'll be a picture of this, by the way, folks, if yeah. you can look on the Intel app. I'm nice. really not enjoying this at all. What, because you don't like the feeling? It's just so close to my eye. Yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> it's I'm like um, having laser eye surgery. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'll only do it in one eye. Would that, better, would yeah. that help? Well, I can do a little comparison as well then. I have not got eyelashes though, right? You've I was not right. got any, yeah. yeah. So will this extend them? Oh, look how pretty you look. Have they gone pop? They have. Oh, you look a bit like Brandon Flowers. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I like Brandon Flowers. <laughs> look at that. I love it. So, then I'm going to get you um, a bowl of warm water. How long does it take to dry this stuff? It, it feels... It feels wet. Does it? I'm going to look at myself in my camera. Just getting a bowl of water. Oh my God, I look like um, one of those apps that adds eyelashes to your eyes. I take mascara off Mm -hmm. now in the bath and in the shower. So I don't know if this is true or not, but I think I am the cleanest person you've ever met. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you're very, very clean. I bathe or shower twice a day. Mm -hmm. And um, I take my mascara off in the bath or shower. Mm. Now, it's quite annoying in the bath because you do end up with sort of just bits of polymer, black polymer floating around. But you never, ever have panda eyes again. Now, I think you're ready. You want to take it off? So what I want you to do is sort of just splash your eye with a bit of water. Okay. I don't think I've ever splashed my eye with water before. You don't have to keep it open. You can close your eye and now just roll it off. So it's coming off like glue. Yeah, it's like lumps of, it's like hard stuff. Can you see? Yeah. So it's like a rubbery glue you're peeling off. Yes. Right? Yes, that's the polymer. Um, and how good is it, would you say, on a scale of one to ten? For, for, you? for me, yeah. um, just the mere fact that I don't ever have to buy eye makeup remover again. And that's, that's savings. I okay. mean, that's like you say. So on that note, how much is it? There are several different types, but generally it's mm-hmm. around the twenty twenty two pound mark. Wow. But bearing in mind, I wear mascara every single day. Tubing mascara is twenty two pounds mm-hmm. uh, by Kevna Coin. Clinique also do a really good one. I've tried that before, and mm-hmm. I couldn't get any Kevin. That's uh, twenty pounds fifty. Okay. Mac, obviously, we, Mac's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. They do one. It's a bit cheaper that one, fourteen pounds, I think. Okay. And Blink do one. B-L-I-N-C, yeah. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, you, um, what you could do is change over to the app, the Entel app, and have a listen via the app. You'll be able to see pictures of my eyes and the benefits of this mascara and seeing me remove it as well, amongst other things throughout and the show. how pristine your eye is now. It's pristine. What, after I've taken it's it pristine. off? pristine. I have gone blind in this eye, but I can't <laughs> actually see anything anymore. Um... <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> For me, as a product, I'm reviewing it. You're the it's only a person. clear 10 out of 10. So I'm going to tell you about the show called Flowers that I've yes. been watching. 
Now, what we're about to tell you may seem like an awful, awful thing, and in almost every sense, it is. We've done such a good job with the twins. You don't shoot family! Everyone knows that! It's a good sign that they still want to live at home, even though they're 25. I mean, we're good parents, aren't we? Stop it! Freak! <laughs> I hope you didn't get me anything. Um... It's so hard to be a feminist when you still look at your parents, isn't it? High five, we are friends! Get away from me. I was going to ask him, perhaps you wanted to sleep in here with me tonight. After Fleabag, I was really struggling to find something to watch. Fleabag has ruined sitcoms, really. I mean, um, for both of us. Yeah, because it that was is so the good. Best series I think I have ever seen. And I think you realise when you watch something like that that although she's a great actress and and the performances are good, but it boils down to the writing. Really, it mm. has to be. It has to be really carefully considered and thought through. I think, and there's a lot of cheap kind of throwaway comedy out there on telly but when you stumble across something that's really been thought about really well crafted and written and rewritten and rewritten i mean partridge was done like that the office was done like that peep show i don't think there's anything better than i've seen uh, of a a written sitcom that's gone on for nine seasons as peep show but this is really well done it's about mental health and it starts with uh, the lead character uh, played by julian barrett guy called morris trying to kill himself Oh yeah, and you can tell that it's a comedy. So it, 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 although it feels dark, um, it, you know you're watching something that's that's also humorous. So it's not deeply depressing, but it's very thought provoking. He tries to kill himself. The branch breaks, oh. and he fails to kill himself. And I always think it's quite funny the idea that um, if you fail so badly in life that you want to die, and then when you try to kill yourself, you fail at that as well. <laughs> I mean. He's really at the end of his tether. He is a, um, a children's author and writes a book that's probably similar to The Gruffalo. It's called mm. Mr. Grubbs. And he has a Japanese illustrator who works with him and is uh, native Japanese but now lives here. And you don't re- he's a slight oddity in the whole, the whole thing. You don't really understand why he's there until much later on in the series. His wife is played by Olivia Coleman and they've got two twin daughters called Donald and uh, Amy. What, um, daughters? Uh, Donald? Sorry, uh, no, a, a son, son and a daughter. daughter. Twin okay. uh, son and a daughter called Donald and Amy. So uh, Amy's played by Sofia uh, DiMartino, who was in quite a few Richard Curtis films and things like that. You'd recognise her if you've seen her. But uh, Donald, who is hilarious, really, um, is played by a guy called Daniel Rigby, who you will recognise. I don't know what else he's done, but he is really funny in it. And him and his sister hate each other. And they're like a couple of belligerent children, really. They're difficult people. And how old are they? 25. Oh, so they're old. Oh, they're not children, yeah. But they're... they're, but they're living at home. They're, li- they're all living at home. And arguably the sixth character in this, uh, this sitcom is the house itself. So that even the Japanese illustrator is living at their house? Yes. Well, they've got these little houses on the land. Um, oh, okay. So there's one big main house and these little houses on the land. What's interesting about it is the Japanese character in it is a guy called Shun um, and... Um, he is called Will Sharp, and if you look at the credits on this show, it was written, directed, uh, and it stars Will Sharp. He is the writer and the creator of the whole thing. It's kind of amazing how many people are doing that nowadays. Yes. I mean, it's worth having a go, right? If you can't find a part, then write yourself one. So you're meandering through this family's life, which is at breaking point, really. The husband and wife um, uh, in it are, are yet to be divorced, essentially. They are bumbling their way through as he as his career starts to fail and what's interesting about it is the illustrator's desperate to 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 get recommissioned another book 
So he's doing anything and everything he can to try and impress Morris because he just wants to work there. But you can't really understand why until you get to about episode four. Now, it's not really a spoiler, but I will mention it, is that he goes to pitch Mr. Grubbs on behalf of Morris to the publisher. And they say to him, why are you here? Why on earth have you found yourself here? And he goes on to tell them the story that he leaves to go to work for one, one day. And there's an earthquake and his entire family are killed in this earthquake. And my God, I'm filling up talking about it. Because oh. he starts to weep as he's telling this story. And he goes home from work to find his family all crushed under all this material. Um, so he's completely lost. His home's gone, his family's gone, he hasn't got anything. And he finds a, a book called Mr. Grubbs and he reads it. And it's like a sign for him to go to England to be an illustrator for this guy, you know. And it's really well done. He's brilliant, this guy. I don't know what else he's going to go on to do, but um, this um, Will Sharp guy is a superb actor and it's really well written. But on the way home from that meeting, he stumbles into his family in a kind of dream sequence in the middle of the forest. And they um, they ask him to kind of pull himself together and stop... Um, <laughs> I know <laughs> it always makes me feel very teary but they tell him to pull himself together and stop being so ungrateful because at least he's got a life you know but they also slightly ridicule the West as saying the Western people need so much help they're so lazy they say and it was really it's a really moving moment where I can I can only assume he's analysed what the difference is between the cultures of uh, of Japan and Britain and decided to write this thing in it, you know. But it's amazingly moving and, and brilliantly performed. And you can't help, I guess, turning, what would you say, turning the camera on yourself to think, yeah, I think we are a little bit lazy in the West, actually. And we do need, we do need to seem to need so much help. Mm. And perhaps we do seem to seem slightly ungrateful, maybe. Um, I love the way that you see things yeah. in programmes. You get really amazingly emotionally involved mm. in shows and I love the way you get a bit choked up oh. when you're describing things well it's it's very well done um and then there's a, cl- a kind of a climactic episode of, of season one where how many seasons are there two and have you seen both of them yeah I, I, I'm on season I'm on episode five of season two how many eps per season six and really good all of it it's not faultless, like there's problems with it, especially in season two, because Morris tends to resolve his mental health issue by the end of, of season one. So season two is a bit meandering. You can't really work out what's going on. But it seems that the problem has transferred itself to the door to Amy. And I've just watched, just on the way here, on the tube here, watched a, a scene with her where she has a full breakdown. And good Lord, it's very, very powerful and mm. brilliant. Um, and they're all as a family in a room together trying to support her as she is lashing out of of great criticism of them all. And of course, they're all aware of their own faults. But, you know, I mean, everybody's trying to struggle to fix themselves, right? That's the, the, the point of it all. But it's a brilliant, uh, brilliant moving um, a piece of, of TV that I couldn't recommend enough. Um, and how long are the apps? Half an hour long. See, so that's the perfect oh, amount, I think. It's great. It's so mm. good, that, because you kind of can maintain mm-hmm. enough interest and 
at the end of it, you can think, oh, I need to watch the next one. Mm. And you still, you've got two eps down and you're only an hour in. I think I love half hour eps. It was very interesting because my kids, it was my kids that put it on to me. My eldest son said, you've got to watch this. It's absolutely brilliant. And then weirdly, my dad came for dinner and he said, have you seen Flowers? And I was like, what? Everybody's going on about this thing. So I watched it. So what what are you giving it? Sounds... Uh, well, I would give it probably an eight out of ten. I mean, I, I, I think there are still holes in it. But... Um, but I think it's it's fantastic, and I would love to see what this Will Sharp does next because he's clearly a brilliant writer. Now we're going to review next a mm. book. It's Paul and Michael and Bob, which is the story of Paul Yates, Michael Hutchins, and Bob Geldof. So Michael Hutchins was the lead singer of In Excess, which was arguably at the time one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And Paula Yates was a writer and broadcaster who was significantly famous in Britain, like as famous as you were when you presented Big Brother or whatever. Uh, Bob Geldof obviously was the lead singer of the Boontown Rats, but he became hugely famous and got his knighthood from starting Live Aid and co-writing Band Aid, which really kind of, um, I guess, spawned a whole bunch of charities. Like you could arguably say Comet Relief might not exist in its, in its current form had Bob Geldof not done what he did. So he became a hugely significant figure of, of uh, with raising money and, and pretty still um, uh, big in the music industry. So um, Paula Yates, I remember first uh, the first time I heard about Paula Yates is she was presenting The Tube, yes, which was too. like um, a really cutting-edge music programme, probably in about 1981, 82. And she was just, she was just so vibrant and full and of life. so sexy and, it was and her naughty. And her, naughty. Yes, she was quite naughty, a bit cheeky. It was her and Jules Holland... And it was a show based in the north, and they had just the most amazing live bands on. U2 did a set on there, the Police were on there, the Jam did a set on there. They had these amazing live bands, and she first met Michael Hutchins um, on that show. So she became a broadcaster and a journalist, journalist off the back of that, and then she ended up on The Big Breakfast, which was this huge TV show hosted by Chris Evans, which largely launched his career. But she had a bit on there called On the Bed with Paula Yates, where she would interview various celebrities and supermodels and pop stars and all sorts of stuff on the bed in a slightly saucy way. And the interesting slightly. thing, about, yeah, well, it was it was a bit sexy. She wasn't was it? so overtly like mm. sexy, and I remember she sort of wrote articles about how to keep your man. Ah, uh, yes, there you was know, lots like of sauce in there. Wasn't never there? ever let him see you shave your armpits. That's really stuck with me. I don't know why. I thought, oh, okay. why is shaving your armpits a bad thing? And she was like, your man must never see you do that. Okay. She wrote a kind of beauty Bible, I think, of do's yeah. and don'ts, didn't she? And of course, her husband, Bob Geldof, produced The Big Breakfast. So he was aware that she was being very flirtatious and all that stuff. But she was amazing fun. And you got the feeling she was a really brilliant person to be around. And she famously married Bob in a red, bright red wedding dress mm-hmm. that was so Paula to do something and their wedding as was, outrageous as that. It was so rock and roll. And it was front page news all across, I would have thought, a large portion of the Western world. I also um, knew Michael Hutchins a bit. Yeah, hate that. Um, he was my hero. But I pretended that I was a singer mm-hmm. in Australia when I was 18 years old and I told this band that was playing that I was recording an album and that I'd been sent to Australia to have a holiday before we started recording and they let me sing a song and then the guy who was in the band who was a guy called Phil Sobrano said look we're doing a, a band made up of people who are in other bands but that aren't doing anything at the moment 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Do you want to come down and do some gigs with us? Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing some gigs in Melbourne. My my mum and dad were like, can't believe this. This is amazing. With this girl called Kate Sobrano, mm-hmm. who was a huge, famous, I think she still is huge in Australia, Kate Sobrano. And Michael Hutchins mm-hmm. came and um, sang a couple of tracks. So when was this, do you reckon? I was late 80s. 18, late 80s. So it okay. would have been 85. In excess, were big in Australia, yeah. but nowhere else. nowhere else. So when I came back and I said I sang with Michael Hutchins and Kate Sobrano, nobody okay, n- knew what I was talking about. Okay. Nobody was that impressed. But later, mm-hmm. and I was dating a drummer, um, and he was in Public Image Limited, and um, Public Image Limited supported mm-hmm. In Excess. So I saw him again. And then when I worked at MTV, I saw him again. Okay. So it was quite funny. Did you fancy him? Um, no. I mean, I'm not really into men that look like they don't wash. As you know, I am the yes, two baths or showers mm-hmm. a day person. So that kind of sort of crusty rocker isn't my thing but did I think he was immensely sexy when he performed yes Mm -hmm. he was extraordinary there's no one like him what what could you compare him to now do you think is there because in excess were huge really but they weren't U2 or Coldplay huge but they were what like Arctic Monkeys huge I mean they were doing arenas and stuff like that oh yeah they were famous all around the world oh yeah. yeah worldwide yeah this story I was amazed by. I mean, I, I I really liked him in the same way that people seem to like John Lennon and stuff like that. So uh, I was um, I was totally immersed in, I bought clothes that he would wear. I had my hair like his, you know, even had a perm, you know, to, to look like him. <laughs> you can put that picture on the app. It's hilarious. And I loved the music. It was quite weird because they got super famous as his hair got better and better. <laughs> and <laughs> there's, there's a documentary about him at the moment on the iPlay, on the BBC iPlay, which we'll talk about a little bit when we talk about this, this book. But um, 
there's a bit in it where he comes out to present award at the MTV Music Awards and he's cut all his hair off. And nobody oh, knows. I remember yeah. that. And he walks out and he's got these glasses on and he still looks cool and everything. But the guitarist, a guy called Kirk Pengilly, uh, says to his wife, he says, put your credit cards away uh, in excess is over. <gasps> because Michael had walked out with his hair cut and he <gasps> thought, oh, we're done. And it was really interesting that, that he, like the hair signified his power and you know, everything that embodied the band. And when he cut it all off, it was like they lost all the power. Who was the guy who cut his hair off and lost his power? wasn't it? Was it Samson? Samson, I mean. Yeah. Jason. Jason. Jason Jason and the You know that really famous... um... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The guy with all the hair. But it was was almost true because he grew his hair back and then they became big again. You know, I don't... You know, I mean, it's obviously a coincidence, but I thought that was quite a funny metaphor for something that embodied what they they managed to do in that band. I mean, it, it petered out a bit towards the end of the 90s, but, you know, that stuff in the 80s, uh, they had an album called Kick and then an album after that called X. Kick was amazing, uh, wasn't it? they were brilliant. And there's a live, uh, there is a live concert he did called, it's called, called Live Baby Live, where they did, uh, they played Wembley Stadium and they've just recently put that out at cinemas across Britain. Oh, I really? Think it was like 30 years since they did that concert. was virtually obsessed with uh, Michael Hutchins so I followed his career and then followed him through the tabloids as he passed uh, through because he famously dated Kylie Minogue which largely put him uh, kind of brought him into Britain I think people can didn't I really just know who say, he was yeah. I also knew Kylie at okay. the time yeah of course you're in a and, music video of hers aren't you and it, it totally made her Yes, it gave her a cool real edge. Cool and sexy, and you thought, oh, she must have another angle, mm. like the public thought, oh, there must be another side to mm. Kylie if she's going out with Hutch. Yeah. And then he went out with Helena Christensen. They were beautiful. I mean, they were the perfect couple, perfect right? Perfect couple. They were, uh, I can remember reading an article about them. They were both the same height. They were literally the same age. You know, they both had similar amounts of money. They were, I mean, they were just travelling the world. They looked so glamorous. It was incredible. And then... He did an interview with Paul Yates on the Brig Breakfast bed. I remember it so now you well. You can go onto YouTube and watch this interview, or if you're listening on the app, I'm sure you'll be able to click on a link now and watch this interview. This is a guest who has tackle troubling trousers. <laughs> this is a guest that has everything that a rock star needs to have. Danger, talent, curly hair, and Australian subtlety. <laughs> and for the first time, this is a guest that I want to have my leg over. Their legs are tangled up within each other. And he is still with Helena Christensen at this point, of course. And then she starts asking him quite naughty questions with a certain hidden agenda. And then and she's married to Bob Geldof. She's married to Bob Geldof with three kids at this point. Were you always very forward? Am I forward? Well, a bit. And you're talking. My dress rode up there. Did it? No, have you always been great with girls, Not though? Not far to go. Sorry? <laughs> As the story goes, they left the studio and went straight to a hotel and had it off. And I think that it that, that displays that in the book. And this was played out on the front pages of the papers everywhere. And, of course, Paula had had a, a, a fling with Michael 
from Sir Bob Geldof, who was considered some kind of saint, right? I mean, he'd raised so much money for the starving children in Africa. I mean, he transformed the way that charities were run. And he was considered, I guess, some kind of saviour, I suppose. And at the time, the press was so powerful mm. that they had the power to twist the nation's mm. thoughts and feelings. And there she was, having an affair, hurting our saints' feelings, mm -hmm. and running off with a sex god. Yeah. It was a scandal, a huge scandal, and three children. And they, I think the press literally tore them apart for it, I think, didn't they? They did. It, it, and I don't think Michael Hutchins knew what to do with all of that. Because he'd spent this extremely carefree existence. And then all of a sudden he was under the spotlight on an epic scale. And, and I'm not sure his it. musical career or his music career ever no, it recovered. Suffered, yeah. It massively suffered mm -hmm. from that. Like suddenly he was a bit tainted. Mm -hmm. And you looked at him on stage and you thought, oh... And I think the other thing is it's hard to tell how much he loved Paula or how deep they, their, their relationship was because it felt like the pressure of what had happened and the way it had been exposed meant that he couldn't get out of it. That's how it felt to me. No, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, did you not... so embedded in it at that point. You felt that he was just there because he couldn't get out? I because definitely I've... think there was an element of that. Really? Yeah. That's how it looked to me, yeah. I, and I think in the so... book you get that that sense as well. That well, I didn't just... finish the book, which we can talk about in a minute. I also but think I... that, that Paul just didn't seem like the kind of person that he would have ended up with when you looked at all these previous girlfriends. But who does end up with the person that yeah. they think, mm -hmm. like people think that you're going to end up with? Mm -hmm. It's I don't think that he would have carried on going through everything that he was going through with her if he didn't love her. Mm. But the thing I want to talk about is this book called yes. Paula, Michael and Bob. Now, it was first published in 2003, so he died, I think, in about 1997, 98, and then Paula died maybe a year or two after. And this was written by, I think, Paula's publicist, a girl called Jerry Agar. So she was very close to them all. Now, I gave you this book a while back, and you stopped reading it. Can I you did. tell me why? Jerry Agar, who wrote it, um, wasn't just Paula's publicist. I mean, she was a former publicist and then went on to become a friend and... Possibly kind of a big shoulder to, to lean on mm -hmm. and um, for the kids, it seemed, and for everybody. Um, and as I was reading the beginning of the book, I just thought, God, this is really personal stuff. There's a lot of um, stuff that's written in the book that's written in inverted commas. And okay. you think, actually, hang on a minute. How can you actually verbally quote somebody saying something from that long ago yeah. in inverted commas... Um, and it's stuff that's not flattering about Paula necessarily, n too intimate, too mm -hmm. much detail. And she knows their kids, like she <clears throat> knows Bob and Paula's kids. Yeah. And I just thought, God, if my best friend, mm -hmm. if something like that happened to me and there was a scandal or something, if my best friend or good friend of mine wrote a book, Mike, it would hurt my kids so much. Yeah. And I just thought, I've got to put it down, I can't read it. Well, it's funny, when you did that, I went and looked at some of the reviews, and a lot of the reviews are, how on earth can this woman call herself a friend of Paul's? Yes. And how on earth she, has she managed to pluck up the gusto to write this, this book? It's incredible. That it's, it's the ultimate betrayal. And it is. But it's also amazingly juicy <laughs> and full of everything I wanted to hear. I mean, I suppose like, you're coming at it as a massive fan of Michael's. Yeah. 
So you're coming at it from a slightly <laughs> different point of view. Mm-hmm. When I read it, I just saw it as salacious gossip. Yeah. And I agree, like, she can't call herself a friend. No, no. It was because it played out itself in the papers every day, this mm. story. I, I, read, I bought The Sun and The Mirror every day, mm. virtually, for about six years, largely because they were in it. And I was desperate to know what was going on behind that door uh, in the King's Road where they had that house. And this book was a kind of window into that, that I'd been slightly pining for more information about it, which I don't know what that says about me exactly, but it's probably not that great. But um, so the, the book opened up a load of questions that I'd had as a young man, I guess, about, about that whole situation. What ultimately happened is they had a child together and the book goes into a bit of detail about uh, this. And I think Michael always wanted to be a dad of some sort, but then... The um, the nanny finds drugs, opium, I think, in the family home and decides to report them to the police. And the press pick up on this, uh, and he's worried he's going to lose custody of his daughter. And for some reason, he has this deep obsession that Bob Geldof's going to take his daughter away from him. And I always thought this was a really paranoid state for him to be in, because the idea that Bob's no there's no legal right for Bob to have anything to do with his daughter. I've got to say, though, one mm. doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes, and I think um, they were very well known for taking absolutely tons of drugs and being um, mm. party animals, and, you know, that could have been a threat that was thrown at him at some point. If he was really paranoid about it, maybe it was something that either Paul would mention, or, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, that may have been, had its roots in truth somewhere mm. along the line. I think one of the most touching things and sad things was obviously when he died it was recorded as suicide and I'm not entirely sure whether that's accurate or not lots of people said there's no way this guy was going to kill himself but then who knows you know what goes on inside mm. people's brains Paula flew out there to um Identify. to see him yeah and there's this there's this interview with her where she talks about washing his dead body while it was in the morgue and it's just so sad and she's obviously devastated by it but when she lands home from the funeral, there's the paparazzi are waiting for her at Heathrow Airport taking her picture. And the son, I think it is, that have run a story that her real dad is Huey Green. Oh, God, that was the right? worst. And the day she comes back. Now, from, a lot of people from... won't know who Huey Green is, but it'd be fair to say he was probably like the Simon Cowell of his yes. time, right? He was the host of Opportunity Knox, which was like the X Factor of its day. He was a huge TV star and obviously a bit of a Lothario and unbeknown to Paula, it turns out that he was her biological father. And the newspapers broke that to her on the day she came back. It's too to much for anyone to handle. I mean, it absolutely tore, must have torn her apart. And I think, really, that's enough, you know, and that's enough for her family. Mm-hmm. Her family have had to go through that mm. with her, her kids. Mm-hmm. And then for that book to come out, mm. I don't know, it just feels too oh, sensationalist. It's incredible, like isn't it? it? And then, of course, subsequently, Paula then died of a heroin overdose, um, which was virtually un- unbelievable, really. And then to consider that uh, her daughter also went on to die, which isn't part of the book, of course, but um, it, it bleeds into it, I, I assume, you know. Um, well, she'd was... also, got, you know, she'd gone through so much mm. with her mum and the public and books. And, you know, it does affect, it affects you. Yeah. 
And just to, to round this off, the the irony of it all was that Bob Geldof did get custody of Michael's know, daughter in the end. I know. And it was one thing he didn't want. Mm. But there was no options in the end because mm. she wanted to be with her sisters, presumably. Mm. And it was possibly the best outcome. There was one final thing I will say is that I found this YouTube interview with Bob Geldof probably about 10 years after all of that. He talked about it pretty much for the first time. But he said he was in Australia with Tiger Lily and they were wandering around a record store and she's an, an In Excess song comes on. And she listens to it and she said, is this, my, is this my dad? And he says, yeah, yeah, that's your dad singing. And then immediately after that, a Boomtown Rat song comes on. And she said, is this you? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, yeah, my dad's a much better singer than you. She said, uh, that's you, dad, with my one. And she says, yeah. And she said, and that's my real dad. And I said, yeah. And she said... My real dad's a better singer than you. Yeah, thanks, you know, great. (laughs) Thanks, kid. You know, (laughs) true, but, you know. And he just kind of laughed about it, which I thought was very, very sweet of him, really. But it's worth digging out some of those interviews. If you read the book and you you find the story moving, which it ultimately is, it's worth just having a little look on some of those uh, those interviews because it is a real story with real people who are Mm. still around today. And it's virtually hard to believe it happened. I wonder now that that's, that the tabloids um, are behaving in in a slightly more humane manner than they used to um, because of uh, because like of that. the phone hacking yeah. because of the Millie Dowler thing being mm. exposed and they've all kind of I feel like they are slightly more ethical now yeah oh yes, um, yeah in the way that they report stuff I wonder how differently this story would have mm. played out now but everybody was paranoid at that mm. time I had my I had like a private detective over to um, mm. check all my parents' phone lines in their house and because I thought their phone was being tapped, I couldn't understand yeah. how information was making it into the public domain. And you it, were it, being hacked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was quite weird because it was one of those things where you would have been slightly insulted if you weren't. <laughs> Can I just say that nobody hacked me? And we were friends. We were friends. And yet you had other friends that were hacked. Nobody hacked me. No one hacked you. Um, Anyway, it's called Paul and Michael and Bob by Jerry Agar. And the little strap line is everything you know is wrong, which was a little, I I believe, a little like sign outside Paula's front door underneath the doorbell. I mean, it's an easy read uh, in the sense that you can float through it. Um, And I would say, don't get it. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. My thing is that that betrayal of trust for writing what is basically a warts and all. Yeah. I mean... That's what's so brilliant about it. Yes, and I mean, that's what you as a reader would enjoy uh, as a normal member Mm. of the public. But to me, as a parent of three children, Mm -hmm. for them to read about their mother with another man and all the turgid details, it is so... Such an enormous... I know both of them are dead, Mm -hmm. but to me it's such an enormous betrayal of trust Mm -hmm. that I actually had to put the book down. I was so angry about it. I thought, I can't read any more secrets. But her kids, Mm. it's terrible. Mm. If you are going to get it, what I would say is also watch the documentary Mystify. It's on yeah, the BBC iPlayer at the moment. Yeah, definitely watch the documentary. But give you a little insight. Is Paula in that was. a lot? Uh, no, towards the end they talk a lot about Paula. But it's mostly about him. It, it's about and him life. and his life. So yeah. it starts in kind of the early 80s and it goes right through to and his death. And this really mostly is about Paula. Well, for me, the, for the, the, the book, I, I, I couldn't put it down, so I would give it an 8 out of 10. I realise all the things you're saying about it are, oh, no. are accurate. 
Um, I mean, morally, I'm giving it a zero. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I don't think we've ever disagreed with anything <laughs> to this extent. I might even give it a nine just because you're giving it a zero. <laughs> She's wrong, by the way. She's wrong. Hannah um, has sent in some... God, I mean, it's it food. Quirky. It's food. Um, the brand is called Quirky. Is, ever, that Q-W? Ever, is it called Ever So Quirky? Yeah, Ever So oh, Ever So Quirky. I R K E E Quirky. That's, that looks like Q W Quir. Oh, Quirky. Oh, there's no and that U. Would be, That's uh, that would be a quirky way of spelling it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's vegan jerky. So if you read the whole pack, the bit of marketing, uh, ever so quirky vegan jerky. It's like a oh nice, yeah, I like that like song. Smoked maple bacon, but obviously it's not. It's faken. It's faken. Yeah, but I I do like a bit of jer- beef jerky. Yes. Yeah. And but you're not vegan, I'm not obviously, vegan, because you no. like beef jerky. Yeah. I don't like jerky, and I'm not a do vegan. You not? No. But you love uh, cured meats. Like you would eat salami until the cows. Come yes, home. I would. But is this not just cured meat? No, it's vegan. Oh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but you said you don't like beef jerky. I'm but gonna is beef open jerky, it. not just like cured meat. Yes, but it's incredibly salty, and this is coming from the queen of salt. Yeah, exactly. Who oversalts everything? Mm. My dad came around for a bite to eat recently, and I, I had that. I had a bowl of that Malden rock salt. Oh yeah, like flakes of salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was sprinkling it on his food. He was like, "Where did you get this salt from? It's so salty." You know? <laughs> and I was like. It's just, it's just salt. You know. And he went, oh, it must, there must be some, some special about it. It's like intense salt. <laughs> and his wife was going, no, salt. It's, it's just salt. It's just ground up differently. No, no, no. There's something more. There's more oh, salt content in this. Salt. Like the other salt's not 100% salt. I was like, well, what is it then? You know, it was just so funny. And he just was putting more and more it? on that. It's like, Christ almighty, calm down there, Smell lad. That. that smells quite bacony, doesn't it? It does. It smells like frazzles or something. It smells like frazzles. Mm, I like a frazzle. Oh my God, we both like a frazzle. Mm. I love any corn-based snack, apart mm. from popcorn, really. Um, okay, on first impressions, I've taken a piece out of the pack. Yeah. And um, I've got to say, when you're, when, you're, when you're dealing with jerky, jerky's so dry. Mm-hmm. And um, because it's been dried and smoked yeah. and dried and tough, mm-hmm. this feels revolting because it doesn't, it doesn't oh, feel yeah. dry. yeah feel it it feels weird however i am keeping a massively Ooh. open mind it might taste amazing yeah but i think if you're going to call yourself something that you're a looky likey we had this discussion the other night with holly and tilly the other <laughs> night i made harriet some um a it was called a vegetarian hamburger yeah don't call it a vegetarian hamburger. Yeah. Call it a veggie patty. Yes. Because it didn't taste ham. anything like a hamburger. Okay. You've got to be careful about really replicating just, a food type. Can we just sort. work out, Is it? why is it called a hamburger? Why is it not like a beef burger? Where does hamburger come yeah, from? Yeah, and it's you know? not even pork. No. It's a beef burger. Does it come from Hamburg, do you think? Was it a German thing? Because well, let's, let's find out about that for There's the also time. a Frankfurter, which <gasps> is German, right? And that's sausage. I wonder if Frankfurt is from there and hamburgers from Hamburg. Did you literally just think about that? Or is this not a question that's no, been I mean, floating around in your head? No, I mean, it's been floating around my head for like 15 years, I think. Thingy, um, JFK said something about like, uh, I'm a Berliner. Yes. And Berliner in Germany is a bagel, apparently. 
So it was this idea that he'd ah. said, I am a bagel. And then he went to Frankfurt and said, I am a Frankfurter. And then he went oh. to Hamburg and said, I am a hamburger. No. No, I mean, but that was a kind of, that was a, a joke. running joke that kind of went through my mind or I yes. read it somewhere. But I just wonder whether hamburger comes from hamburger. Hamburger's got I'm to come slightly from not America. looking forward to eating this. this I'm going to really like... give it some gusto. I'm doing it now. Oh, sn- sniff. does have the look consistency and smell of a dog treat <laughs> and <laughs> right because i have no doubt that my dog would love this listen yeah on a good day i don't like jerky yeah so i might not be the right person to taste this it doesn't taste horrific to me yeah but the consistency yeah. Isn't quite right. It needs to be chewier or softer. It's not. Yeah. I really don't like no. it. No. No, I really I'm don't trying like to it. like it. Yeah, me too, because someone's put a lot of thought and effort into this and it's obviously come from a good place. Well, it's very flavourful. God, I'm, I'm, I'm on fire. Mm. It's got maple syrup in there, soy sauce in there, apple cider vinegar, beetroot juice. I mean, all those things I all love. I was going to try another bit, but I don't, really didn't like it. Yeah, but it. you see, that's interesting oh. that you were going to go back for more. I was, because, like, spice is Moorish-like, right? Like, I, I think, oh, this is hot. And then two minutes later, I'm like, give us another mouthful of that. I love uh, spice, but that is not good. Okay. I don't like it. So, but out of ten. I would give it a two out of ten. Um, yeah, I'd give it a three look, out of ten. If you look on the app now, you can see a picture of it. It is like... Well, you can see what it's like. I don't need to describe it. But I've got to say, veganism, it's, it's, a, it's a hard, it is a hard diet to follow. And you are always looking for interesting snacks or mm. other ways that you can eat plant-based food. Yeah. And, um, and try and get kind of nutrients into you. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you were a desperate vegan and you were looking for a snack, <laughs> you still wouldn't choose this. You get a bag of crisps, right? You get a bag of crisps, vegan crisps? Um, crisps are vegan. The crisps are vegan. There are lots of other really nice vegan snacks like the hummus chips. I love those. The lentil quinoa chips. Love all of those. A bag of Monster Munch, right? Um, Monster Munch must we've be got vegan. To, we've got to discuss that. Uh, there is a very good website, yes. which we should... Um, not website, but a really Instagram good Instagram page, account yeah. called Accidentally Vegan, yeah. which I really, really liked. Because um, my daughter... Um, went vegan for a few months. I already have children that all like different things. So yeah. mealtimes are a time of great stress mm. for me. But when someone was, I can't have that cooked anywhere near that, mm. can't do this, can't mm. eat that, it was very difficult. But I did try and embrace yeah. it with Tilly. Um, this whole subject's a worry. It's a bit like talking about race or you know feminism or something like that it's, it's terrifying a, it's like we could alienate subject. a third of our audience yeah. immediately yeah and we've only got three people listening yeah but it feels like we're not dissing veganism we're just saying we don't particularly not like yet. that treat yeah ever we're never gonna do that are we not i think vegans should be saluted yeah okay. for their stance um, um for the animals but i don't think a vegan has made this that would be interesting, wouldn't it, if the inventor of this wasn't a vegan? There's a level of uh, cynicism from me about anything vegan at the moment because it's the biggest growth industry in food. I read an article about this recently. It's turned into a multi-billion pound business overnight and anyone investing in anything is going to go stick your money in vegan products. So there's a million of them coming out here, there and everywhere and I would have thought it's all about making money. 
And not all but, of it, sorry. But, but a lot wouldn't of it's you say money. that they are also providing a service? It's supply and demand. There must be massive demand for it. That's why they can make all this money. But yes. you've got to supply the stuff that people actually want to eat. And I don't... Yeah. I, I can't imagine And I do even agree that the, the idea of we live in a kind of capitalist society and that will resolve some issues, I think, is also a good thing. So the fact that you're making money out of saving the planet, that's what needs to happen. Because that, as soon as you can monetize. The, the, the change of in, in attitudes towards global warming, you'll fix global warming. And maybe that's what's happening without us realising it. But if it Cricket means I, flour. If it means I have to eat that. No. So if you are listening and you think um, that you have something that either you love or you hate or you just want us to review it or you think it might be funny if we taste it, send it in and we'll give it a pop. Be careful about what you send in, by the way. Some hash cakes or something like that. Yeah, please send don't do that. Lally. You've now put something into their minds. Oh, did they not do that in the Great British Bake Off? I would never, no. never eat anything that someone has sent me. That they've homemade? Ever. Really? I can't take the risk. <laughs> it's full of psychedelic mushrooms yeah. and things, yeah. Okay. Pre, pre-getting clean, I would have definitely you, eaten whatever. I wouldn't care. But If you're going to send us something, it has to be officially sealed by the manufacturer. Yes. And you can find the address in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.